The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast. I'm not Chip Patterson. I'm Bud Elliott, and that means <laughs> it's a recruiting stuff you need to know episode. I'm joined by the director of scouting, Andrew Ivins, and by national recruiting analyst, Cooper Dagnan. We're back once again. What's going on, guys? How are we doing, man? Shout doing, out to Cannon on a Tuesday. Doing good, bud. Are, is, <laughs> I heard on an episode that you play softball on Tuesday nights. Is that why you got the midday show or what? Yeah, I'm unavailable for this uh, playoff <laughs> reaction show. Also, last year I had it. I don't know. I'm just like, look, they do these, these playoff rankings for 10 weeks for TV ratings, and then they just get it right in the end. And uh, I, I just I have the opinion that these ratings are mostly an entertainment product and that it, we're just like reacting to stuff that is not real and it doesn't play well uh, when everybody else is given serious analysis. I just so you're what's your, thing? sort yeah. of. Yeah. What's your what's your slugger percentage in softball? Uh, probably probably seven. We you only get two homers. Right. So it's 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 selected like, like you, you got to. You don't want to be the selfish guy that hits the solo shot, right? You you got to be, you got to be selective with it and make sure guys are on base. And we do have a dude who uh, who played, I think, for University of Texas, and he looks like if Tom Brady was on steroids, he was in, uh, he was in one of our guys. His wife was in Bible study, and a new lady came to their Bible study. She's like, "Hey, my husband likes baseball. Can he come out and play?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure, whatever." And it's like, so he hit it over both fences, like into the trailer park, which is not normal and like we're, we're gonna get kicked out of this league this is <laughs> this is like insane. have you have you played with pate yet no dude he looks like he hits rockets though oh yeah oh yeah oh I, yeah I, you know he loves it out there oh he's dude, a yeah. softball god you know he, he's got the filmers too he's got dudes filming 
I, I asked my wife, like, hey, you want to come to the game and film? She's like, absolutely not. No, if, 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 I, if I get the kids down to bed on time, I'm, I'm not wasting my, my Tuesday night watching you play softball. Go have fun. So, uh, all right, let's talk a little recruiting here. Uh, so I just wanted to put these episodes together every other week, maybe weekly as it comes up closer to signing day, which is now, uh, now less than two months away. Uh, just inform everybody, what do you need to know about recruiting if you're not a person who follows recruiting year-round, which we think you should, because 24-7 Sports does such a good job of it. And you guys do a tremendous job spearheading those efforts, but not everybody does. We know you're kind of procrastinators and you're getting into it late. So if you haven't checked it out, uh, last week, uh, you two, along with Steve Wilfong, we discussed the race for the number one class and how it's it's a race that Georgia's already kind of crossed the finish line for the most part, and they're, they're over there with their feet up, and they're just going to see what the official time says and then how how well that class will rank all time. And I was like, all right, maybe today we'll talk about the race for the number two class. But I, I started to check out the rankings, and I was like, you know what? This race for the number two class is largely a story about the state of Florida and the allocation of talent within the state of Florida. So we're going to get to that in a second. But I do want to talk here first about a team that's just having a special year on the field and off the field, and that's Missouri. Missouri's sitting there, just one loss. and I mean, they're looking like the second-best team in the East. You can argue they're a top four or five team in the SEC, which is not normal for that program. They came into the year, like some of these articles, not us, but some of the articles had Eli Drinkwitz on the hot seat. Guys, they're, they're killing it. What, what are you seeing so far out of Missouri that has you so impressed? I love the defense. Uh, Blake Baker, we had him on our podcast back in the summer. Comes in from LSU by way of Miami. Also spent time at Louisiana Tech. I just love his defensive system. And I know we're going to talk about recruiting, but uh, I think the transfer portal bleeds into that a little bit. He has rebuilt that unit through veterans and mercenaries, guys that have come from other programs. And now you're seeing the effects on the recruiting trail. Um, you look at what they did last cycle, what they have committed this cycle, uh, and it's impressive. And, Bud, you're absolutely right. I think didn't Drink sign an extension last year? I know Blake Baker became one of the highest-paid defensive coordinators. I think a lot of people were scratching their heads, but if you're just familiar – with what's going on behind the scenes. Now you fast forward to October 24th and it looks like an excellent move. So I think it's been the talent acquisition um, really on defense. And then they got a stud player in, in Luther Burden and some other weapons as well um, that are, are, are making things hum in that offense. Yeah, I, I guess I'll go with the recruiting side of it. You know, you, like you think back to, you know, we're going to talk about Winery and potentially Wingo here in a second, but like Luther Burden, I think it's so important that you have to show proof of concept, right? A lot was invested from an NIL standpoint, not only from an acquisition standpoint with Luther Burden, but from a retention standpoint. So for him to be one of the most prolific and dynamic playmakers in all of the country up there with the Malik neighbors and Roma Dunzes of the world, that's a huge win for Eli Drinkowitz. Now he was doing that a year ago as well. He's doing his thing this year too but they're doing that with a new offensive coordinator right and and kirby moore kellen moore's brother uh, who came over from fresno state and then you know cooks had a great season as well drew mentioned what they've done defensively i think blake baker is one of the best young minds in all of college football on the defensive side of the ball so i think what you've seen already like in the state of missouri williams winery top five player for us ryan wingo right which missouri is in a very good position his decision comes tomorrow 
you, I, I think for them to have that success on the recruiting trail that they've had this year, guys like Luther Burden have to be able to pan out in a way where, you know, if they, if they didn't go to Missouri and they went somewhere else, would their draft stock be that different? And I don't think that's the case for Missouri. And then on top of that, it's the first year we've seen Mizzou really be a factor in the SEC East under Eli Drinkwitz. So now you see these things kind of working in like parallel conjunction where you see the on-field product along with the recruiting product more kind of gravitating and you see a team ascending both on the field and off the field. Coop, when you were at Alabama, obviously, one of the ways that people recruit against Alabama is, hey, if you go to Bama, you're just another guy there, right? If you come, if you come to us, you'll be like the guy. How much more difficult is it if the school that's making that pitch actually follows through and does what Missouri does with Burden, which is force feed him 10 to 12 targets a game and design plays that are basically like just Burden plays? Well, impossible, right? I mean, think about it. You're the state school. You're going to pay a guy from the state of Missouri. I think that's the other thing. You're going to give him early playing time. And then on top of that, you know, with the Sunday aspirations as well, if there's no drop off there, then what type of advantage does Alabama or Georgia have going into the state of Missouri to recruit uh, a Luther Burden or a Williams Winery or a Ryan Wingo, right? So I think the funny thing is about NIL, if you're a place like Missouri, if you're a, a place like one of these other programs that has gotten involved, you have to win the recruitment organically like you used to pre-NIL, but also at the same time, if you check all those boxes, then the money at the end of the day is going to be enough to get them in the door. And, you know, I'm not trying to take anything away from, from Missouri, but if you think about Missouri's path to being relevant and being a player in the SEC, they have done things the right way. And I think the biggest thing you do is you buy into homegrown talent and they've done that. And then you got to develop those guys. And we've seen that with Luther Burden. And now you're starting to see a pathway forward with guys like Williams Winnerian. If they can bring home Ryan Wingo, man, like now all of a sudden Missouri's got to cook in a little bit. Ivans, I know you, you actually like another guy from, from our, our home state of Florida who, who's committed to Missouri and Cam Keys. I do. And that's what I was going to say, right? You look at Missouri's recruiting class, I think it's 36th or 39th right now. But to the trained eye, there is a lot of good pieces. And Missouri has guys in the NFL. Like this isn't just some program that hasn't churned out talent. I think they're doing an excellent job really in three states. So it's Florida, Alabama, and then in Georgia. I mean, that's essentially kind of SEC country or where some of these teams are built. Uh, Cam Keys, guy from the Panhandle. You know, I think it's a really excellent evaluation by the Tigers. He's a four-star prospect for us. You know, long, lanky corner. I like him. And then James Madison down at St. Thomas Aquinas, right? Every year it seems like STA, which is one of the most well-known programs in the country, they have this late bloomer at receiver. James Madison is that guy this year. Uh, I think coming into the season had like 19 catches. That was it, right? He was working behind some guys who are now playing college football he has taken his his play to a uh, another level and then and then one more Elias Williams out of uh, where is he Hudson and Hudson Florida yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't even know where that is and I've lived in the state like my entire life I, I actually do uh so it's like an hour north of Tampa okay it's that's what I thought yeah it's really kind of middle of nowhere Florida so if, if you if you didn't need to be there for a certain reason you, you wouldn't have gone there but Florida State was you know kind of kicking the tires 
on Elias. I, I know UCF and Gus Malzahn was in there, and then Missouri gets him committed, right? They get him on campus in the summer, and now he's having an excellent senior season. So um, it's it's a strong recruiting class, and it's just, you know, you watch the games on Saturdays, right? Again, you know, there's a lot of transfers in there, uh, and they are playing some freshmen as well. Brett Norfleet was a big win for them in the Show Me State tight end. He, had a, he caught a touchdown, I think, against LSU. I mean, uh, it's just strong evaluation. So I'm a believer in kind of what what they're doing. And uh, I think we also need to point out that Missouri has like most progressive NIL laws out of any of the states out there. I think that is playing a factor into this. But to Cooper's point, you still have to recruit these guys. And like Williams in Winery, Blake Baker coached Greg Russo when he was at the University of Miami. Now, are those guys the same players? No, but they're similar. He can put on that tape. You know, he's recruited him. They've got him on campus. It's not just the dollar sign. But when you get to, you know, the decision time, you're sitting down as a family. Hey, you can stay home. You can play for this guy who, you know, molded a first round pick and you're going to get paid as much as some of these other programs. I, I think that's um, every it's like a nirvana. Everything's coming together for Missouri in, in some of these recruitments. You mentioned James Madison. He actually body type wise reminds me a little bit of a dude who's having success against a lot of single covers for Missouri because now people are having to try to play play bracket overburden and that that's Theo Weiss yeah who was at one time like a really high level recruit got hurt at Oklahoma bounced out and then like Missouri's like hey they're they're having a lot of success I know via the portal but they're not that dissimilar body type wise Weiss was a higher pedigree recruit because he was much more proven coming out but I, I can see them using him in that role too that's 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 gonna be fun and I mean if you're a Missouri fan it's not necessarily so much about like hey we're gonna go win the SEC with this class it's Eyes to the West, right? It's, oh, shoot, Texas and Oklahoma are joining this league. We're about to get about a half game tougher on our conference schedule per season. And that's if you stay at eight. If they go to nine, you know, it's it's very difficult. So in some ways, you're doing this to ensure that you're going to consistently make bowl games. You know, bowl game plus one, bowl game plus two, like giving yourself a product that your fans can enjoy and that you you compete in the big games more often than not. Like, Everybody will have a Kentucky versus Georgia moment at some point if you're not like a Bama. But, I mean, this is really an important thing for them to do to cement their future because this league's about to get tougher. The the timing of this season can come at a better time, right? Eli Drinkwitz's third year, and you mentioned now like Oklahoma, Texas, they're now coming in 2024. So for Missouri, like we said, it kind of started with Luther Burden, but to have the other shoe drop, like williams Winery is a win over Georgia straight up. If they get Ryan Wingo tomorrow, that's a win over Texas straight up, right? And now there's more proof of concept with two of the you know biggest brand names in all of college football moving in uh, to your side of the division or however they do that thing with the pods in, in the SEC. So yeah, I think for Eli Drinkwitz, look, it's great that they're off to this start, but if they can somehow find a w- way to win 10 games this season, I think the long-term ramifications the benefits for Missouri are going to be huge. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little Florida, state of Florida, a little Colorado, take a couple of your questions and highlight some of the top freshman performances from the weekend for guys who we liked a lot coming out of high school. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy 
happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And we're back on the recruiting stuff. You need to know episode of Cover 3. Just trying to whet the appetite for recruiting as National Signing Day comes up the third Wednesday in December now, which uh, hasn't always been that way, but for about the past what, seven, eight years now, I guess we've had early Saturday day now it just feels like it is basically the signing day i wanted to tell the story of the race for the number two class but honestly that's a whole lot of teams to cover and i looked at the rankings I'm like this is kind of a story of the state of florida and every year i do the sunshine state scorecard which is just an assessment of how well the teams in the state of florida are keeping the players from florida so with all due respect img excluding the kids who are from like jersey who transferred into img because you know, my research shows they're they're kind of likely to to return to their home region more than just stick around in the state. Not always, but you know, in terms of you take the job in the state of Florida because of the word Florida, right? The talent available makes it a great job. The money's great too, and, and the tradition and whatnot. But all three schools now combined are keeping more of the four and five stars in state than are leaving the state. And that's the first time that's happened in a good long while. So I, I wanted to talk about that today with you guys, and we'll start. With the Gators, really awesome class Billy Napier's putting together. I think it was a huge win for them to beat South Carolina to basically not lock in bowl eligibility, but it, if they don't make a bowl now, it'd be a shock. So like the, the Napier hot seat stuff is off the table, in my opinion. They're sitting there third, and they got a huge, huge win last week with LJ McCray. They did, right? So I think if you look at this class, I mean, for Billy Napier – DJ Lagway might be the most important long-term recruiting win for the Gators. I'm talking about the five-star quarterback out of Texas. Clemson wanted him. USC wanted him. Florida gets him committed. They've held on to him. He's been in the swamp. So I think that is the biggest win, but not far behind is LJ McCray. And I don't know, but I mean, obviously you're a little more connected at Florida State. I think throughout this process, uh, Florida State seemed like the team to beat for McCray. I, I go back to two years ago at the Seminole Showcase, which is their elite camp. I mean, LJ McCray was there essentially kind of as a nobody. He had this big frame, but FSU was really the only school on him. Then as he started to blow up and, and go through the camps and have a good spring game, it was like Georgia gets involved, Auburn gets involved, Miami's involved. Uh, but at the end, uh, it's Florida that wins out. And I love this fit for the Gators. I mean, obviously, we like the player. He moved up to number six for us overall in our most uh, recent rankings update. But he is scheme versatile, right? He can work in different alignments, different shades. Florida's got that odd man front. I think he could play all three spots. I think you could even put him at linebacker and have him rush him off the edge if he wanted to. He is six foot six. He's got an 82-inch wingspan, right? He's maybe 260 pounds right now. I think he could carry 280, 290. I mean, he is a perfect fit for what Florida wants to do. And I know Cooper wrote about this last week. We love Florida's defensive line class. And so we liked it. I mean, this is just like the cherry on top. I mean, and for so long, the message coming out of Gainesville has been, hey, we got to get better in the trenches. We got to get better in the trenches. I feel like I've been hearing that for two years now. If they can hold on to this group, 
I mean, it might be the top defensive line class haul in the country. Yeah, 14 players from the state of Florida last year in 2023, which like that class, 2023 class, inaugural class for Billy Napier, it feels like it gets overlooked a lot, but it was a really good foundational class. I think a lot of those guys are going to end up being really good players as well. And that's the thing Drew just talked about. I mean, you think about this, this 24 class, what they have on the defensive line, right? And you start with LJ McCray, number two defensive lineman in the country. Then after that, Amaris Williams, a guy that we love, a riser for us out of North Carolina, just took a trip to Ohio State. So we'll see what happens there. Then you got Nas Johnson, right? That was a great early ID out of the state of Georgia. Georgia now pushing for him. Uh, Jamonte Waller out of Mississippi. Auburn's pushing for him. So that's the thing, right? But like earlier in the show, you kind of asked like, all right, what are we looking for? Well, there's two months until signing day. A lot of things can happen, right? And a lot of these high-profile uh, defensive linemen at a premium position are still getting pushed by some of the best programs in the country. So right now for Florida, they're in a great spot. But you think about what they did in 2023, Kelby Collins, Cameron James, two guys that we loved in that class, right? You think about Gavin Hill uh, and, and Will Norman, some other guys as well. So Florida getting it done. But it, it seems like it's um, – you know, Chris Peterson used to say it's uh, it's traditional values with a high definition focus. And I think about Florida's recruiting philosophy right now. Billy Napier just went back to the basics. And now you throw NIL into the picture. What I mean for that geography, they took 17 players, 14 from Florida last year, three from Georgia, another one from Alabama. Kelby Collins was that one guy that Alabama and Georgia wanted. They did a really good job on, on the early ID. They've done that this year. Eight players from Florida, another four from Georgia. They've done a really good job within a 500-mile radius. And when we were at Alabama 2014, 2015, before the world of college football just went crazy, it was about dominating your five- to six-hour radius. And when you're in Florida, that's one of those rare programs, whether you're at FSU or Miami or even in Gainesville, where you can just kind of sit back. And if you do your job the right way from a talent ID standpoint as soon as they're freshmen in high school all the way till the end then you're going to be in a really advantageous position i think billy napier his crew they've actually learned some lessons from year one in 2023 applied that to 2024 and you've seen this class have major success right now in the top three and there's no reason florida isn't capable of doing this every single year especially if they're what i like to call aligned behind the scenes, right, which they seem to be. And that LJ McCray recruitment is just a fine example of that. You got to beat out the likes of Georgia, Florida State to keep this guy home. Florida right now, for all the things that we heard about NIL last year and Jaden Rashada and all this, they have seemed to learn from their mistakes, apply that to the 2024 class. And now they look like one of the most dangerous teams on the recruiting trail. I mean, to, to that point, if you had told Billy Napier – 10 months ago after the Rashada thing falls apart and becomes really public. Hey, you're going to be sitting here with the number three class in the country the week before Halloween. He's taking that all day. Like we're playing you know, to make a deal. Like he's, he's taking that walk. Like that is absolutely, I think on the upper bound of what you could have possibly expected. And he has to be incredibly proud. I, I think Florida staff outworked FSU staff on the McCray thing. I think they won this recruitment because they got him on campus multiple times over the summer, and they have better relationships with him than FSU did. I think FSU had the first relationship. I don't think they had the best relationship, to be honest. And I think well, Drew has to be incredibly proud of that. Drew and I were talking about this on, on our pod today, but it's like 
what what happens if Florida wins this game versus Georgia this upcoming gonna, week, right? Yeah. Was, it, does, it, does anyone yeah, have a, does anyone have more to gain this weekend than Florida? No. No. From a recruiting standpoint, no. Right. I, like and yeah, I, I I don't think it's crushing if they lose, but like man, if they go into the world's largest outdoor cocktail party and they're dancing, you know, it's 7 p.m. On, on Saturday night with the sun going down. I mean, that's going to do wonders for them on the trail. Well, that's the thing, right? It's not like Florida is getting this done. And it's not like they have shown drastic improvement on the field, right? They've been better. They won a game that they needed to win against South Carolina. And they had a big one at home against Tennessee, right? So they have taken advantage of those opportunities. But it's not like Billy Napier has that signature win right now. So for them to be doing what they're doing on the recruiting trail while they're still figuring things out on the field, I think that's going to go a long way for them because when they do figure it out on the, uh, on the field and they have that momentum at their back, they're going to be even more dangerous than what they are right now. I also think Mertz has another year, so that means you may not be completely reliant. And Mertz has played fine, like, like a, actually probably better than they could have expected, uh, not having to have, like, having to have Lagway come in. If he comes in and beats Mertz out, then you know you got, like, a freak. But Well, I, I think... That would be the ideal situation, right? We've talked about DJ Lagway in the space before. He can come in and run some situational packages. For Florida, it can be like when you had Chris Leak and, and Tim Tebow. You can get his feet wet, which is probably what you would want to do for 2025. Get him involved. It's kind of like what Kansas State's doing with Avery Johnson right now, a you know, blue chip quarterback. He can run, give you it makes your more offense more dynamic. So that's that's certainly interesting. Pivoting elsewhere in the state, Florida State comes back nipping at the heels on the 24-7 sports composite rankings, sitting at fourth. They get a big-time flip in 2025 with Armando Blunt, and then he actually goes and flips from 2025 to 2024. I, Ivans, I, I know you and I saw him down there at the Under Armour camp and, and we're, we're pretty impressed. What, what do you like about his skill set and how were they able to pull this flip off? I mean, he closes gaps and gets after the quarterback. Everyone over the weekend saw what Ruben Bain did for Miami against Clemson. I mean, he essentially won the game for them. I think he had 10 pressures, according to PFF. Well, he had 77 sacks when he was at Miami Central. So he leaves for Miami. Armando Blunt transfers in from Fort Lauderdale Dillard, where he's been playing as an eighth grader. There's kind of a unique situation there where the middle school is on campus, so you can play varsity football. So he's already played... Uh, a, a ton of football. I, I just like his ability to uh, get after the quarterback. I, I don't know if we think we have a, a sack total for him, but he was unblockable in the annual rivalry game between Central and Northwestern. He has elite track and field numbers for a 15 or 16-year-old. I mean, he was an AAU champ in the shot, but what does that mean? He's explosive in the hips, um, and it shows up consistently on tape now just like with Ruben Bain the kind of the question is is he an inside guy is he an outside guy um uh, I would have liked to see a senior season and I would have maybe have a better answer for you but he can play um and it's a notable one for Mike Norvell who I don't think is getting enough credit for what he is doing in South Florida as of late I I, I always remember Florida State when they were kind of in the heyday, right, with with Jameis and, and, you know, winning titles, like they were getting whoever they wanted from Miami-Dade and, and Broward counties. Under Taggart, got away from that, taking Mike Norvell some time. But look at last cycle, Hakeem Williams, Conrad Hussey, Edwin Joseph. I mean, those are all blue-chip guys that they beat out Miami and others for. 
now here um, in the 20, I guess, 2024 cycle with Armando Blunt. Uh, but I've seen it with my own eyes. FSU is investing a ton of time recruiting this area, and it, it's starting to pay off. I know one thing they've been doing recently because they they had such a hard September schedule and the October schedule is is far easier. They're sort of doing like the reverse preseason thing that Michigan did in, in a way. And like some of these starters are playing like 30 snaps. And I think they're I think they're making an intentional effort to play the young guys. Uh, I was surprised at how well Hakeem came in and played because he did not come in in shape to FSU. Well, yeah, you know, I, I think well, Cooper is like the president of the Hakeem Williams fan club, like. He's got a Hakeem Williams NIL gear somewhere. I, I think the, the, the thing with Hakeem is he needed to be broken completely down, right? He was at Fort Lauderdale, Stranahan High School, which has had like one divi- one All-American since the 70s prior to Hakeem Williams, right? He is not at one of these powerhouses. He has been the big fish that can get away with whatever he wants. And I thought someone was going to need to break him down, right? Start him from the bottom. Teach him how to run a route. I think that's what took place in the spring, right? The reports were not glowing. I was kind of concerned. Um, and then we saw two weeks ago against Syracuse, he takes that, what was it, a slant and goes 44 yards. It's like, okay, that's why Cooper, you know, has a Hakeem Williams decal on the Tahoe, um, you know. So it's encouraging for sure. Yeah, in, in the spring, I mean, North Carolina Tahoe, by the way. <laughs> Car is pretty old. <laughs> I, yeah, ahead, it, bud, my bad. It, yeah. In the, I mean, so Norvell was a receiver. Right. So like that's kind of his pet position, if you will. And like, yeah, he was sort of Hakeem's personal uh, encourager, if you will, in, in, in the spring. A lot, a lot of uh, consistent encouragement there. I, when Johnny Wilson got knocked out of the game against Duke. The guy they put in was Hakeem and went to him on, on, on the third down. It's like, whoa, like there's there's putting him in when you're blowing out Syracuse. And then there's like, hey, you're up. like that. He's ahead of the curve. I, I was not expecting him to be relied upon in critical situations when you're you know, losing a game on national TV. And so sometimes it's not that complicated, right? Like we're, we're talking about on the pod today, the guys that we mentioned, Nicholas Harbor, if you go watch Nicholas Harbor's tape versus Missouri, you're like, okay, time to take the training wheels off. This guy is a mismatch nightmare. You can play him outside, you can play him in the slot. There's not a lot of people that are going to be able to run with a guy who's 6'5 and has a 10'28 to his name, right? Malachi Coleman, we saw over the weekend, Nebraska starting to up his reps, right? Over Illinois and Northwestern, 44-yard uh, touchdown catch against uh, Northwestern on a nine route, right? It's not that hard. He, he's bigger, he's faster, he's stronger than everybody on the field. Let him go. And we saw the, the, the same with Hakeem Williams on a jailbreak screen, right? Just get the ball in his hands and see what he can do. Most times than not, he's going to be the best athlete on the field. So, I like to see these teams. I think there is a acclimation period to where it's like, hey, you got to earn our trust where we can put you on the field in these big spots. But I think the return on investment at this point in the season, like uh, Bud, you mentioned against Duke, I think Hakeem Williams has earned that trust with Mike Norbell, staff over there, Alex Atkins as well, offensive coordinator. So I'm, I'm excited to kind of see him in some prominent spots uh, the rest of the season. And, you know, that's what player development is, right? That's why these guys come in early in the spring drew you mentioned like the reports on him weren't shining but that's that's what it is right you need to get those reps against good on good competition that is going to be the grace period when you're in college now you're kind of starting to see the fruits of the labor of all the work hakeem williams has put in third team in the top 10 of the 24 7 sports recruiting rankings had i mean for my money probably the most important win of the season maybe the most important win that mario cristobal has had at miami 
and that's the Canes top 10 recruiting class. What What's the outlook on them in recruiting? And, and what does it say that a lot of the freshmen they have brought in are indeed playing and in, in playing in critical situations? That is the recipe for Mario Cristobal. I mean, you, you talk about a guy that understands the importance of playing young guys early and leaning on guys like Francis Malanoa at right tackle from day one or Ruben Bain. I mean, that's that's the secret sauce, right? We talked about the ROI for Eli Drinkwitz when he's got proof of concept like Luther Burden. You think about all these young guys, Riley Williams, another one at tight end playing for Miami. You go down the list of a lot of those guys that have played in prominent situations. That's how he sells the vision. That's a big part of who he is. I like Miami because here's the thing. I mean, if you watch that game, that looked like two teams that were trying not to lose that game rather than two teams that were trying to win that game. And good thing Miami won because what happened with one minute left when Miami took possession and they had an opportunity to go down and get three points. I mean, we're not talking about that right now because the result favors the Canes, but that's something within itself that deserves a whole conversation. But the good part for Miami is you got guys like Bain, Malanoa, the list kind of goes on, that are becoming foundational pieces of this program less than two-thirds of their first season in it, right? So I think the long-term outlook is great. And, and, and think about this, if you're a Miami fan, the biggest thing that we questioned last year was a developmental take in Emory Williams. That guy beats out Ja'Curry Brown. He's your number two, steps in in a big spot, and he didn't light the world on fire. He went 24-33, had like 151 yards, a, a TD and INT. But he did everything that they asked him to do in the second half, right? And was able to win that game after being down 10 points with, I think, eight and a half minutes left. So I think the outlook for Miami, I mean, what what is the conversation about this Canes team if that Georgia Tech snafu doesn't happen, right? You're sitting at, what, six and one instead of five and two? And the outlook of this team is a lot different. So I, I think this is a good team. And I think the other thing is, that was a big moment for Miami in the season. I, I, I was nervous that that team was going to fold after that game. We would have saw the Blaine game, a lot of people pointing at each other. They responded. The North Carolina game didn't end up the way that they wanted. They played hard on the road. They came back, and they beat a Clemson team that, in all honesty, they should have beaten, right? So they got that done. I think right now, despite everything that's happened in the last couple of weeks for that team, the arrow's pointing up, and I think it's a talent acquisition game. And Miami, you know, just like Florida State, just like Florida, all three of those programs in that state, they got their house in order, right? So I think all three of those teams right now, ironically, all got the arrow up. Also, the way it happened. Like, they, they, it, Cristobal has a pretty clear formula. You, you work for the guy. We've all seen it. Like, he's not a new head coach. It, it's, it's man ball. Like, he wants to physically push you around on both sides of the line of scrimmage. They, they ran for 200 on Clemson. Like, that's not nothing, especially when Clemson knows that you're going to be trying to run because you're playing a true freshman quarterback. Like, I, I think like that's something that Mario Cristobal can sell on the trail. I think what stands out about to me it, with, with Miami is they are recruiting very national, right? And they've made some inroads into IMG Academy. Uh, you know, Francis Mauanoa, they pulled him out of there last cycle. I've said this multiple times wasn't too long ago where Alabama would essentially always get the top offensive lineman out of there. And how does that apply to this cycle? Well, Ellis Robinson, our number one ranked cornerback, five-star committed to Georgia. I believe he was at Hard Rock Stadium over the weekend. It seems like, you know, Billy Napier, and, and my, you know, he's, he's all over the state recruiting. Mike Norvell, we're seeing him in South Florida. Mario has kind of been like, all right, IMG Academy, 
it's kind of mine right now, right? Like this is this is, and I think it's a smart play. I mean, I think if Ellis Robinson doesn't end up at Georgia, wouldn't you think Miami's the team that has invested the most time in recruiting in recruiting him? So that stands out. And the other thing is, when I watch Miami play, I'm like, all right, there are some draft picks out here, and I think that is important. You know, Miami in recent years hasn't really sent a bunch of homegrown guys to the league, meaning guys that started off at Miami and were there for multiple years, right? There's been some transfers. Jalen Phillips comes in from UCLA, goes to the Miami Dolphins. Tyreek Stevenson comes back home from Georgia, now with the Chicago Bears making plays. Like, I think the local talent and the high school coaches want to see Miami and its staff develop homegrown guys and get them to the league. And if Reuben Bain's able to do that, um, and so far so good with Reuben Bain, then that's going to go a long way. Let's go ahead and pivot here. Deion Sanders, Deion Sanders, Colorado, Deion Sanders. That's for the <laughs> algorithm. Anytime you talk Colorado, you, you, you know YouTube's just like, oh, sweet. Auto traffic. So episode just paid for itself. They get a huge win, though, on the recruiting trail this, this weekend for a 2025 quarterback out of Georgia. Uh, Ivans, we'll start with you. What have you seen in Hill, and, and what is his potential there in this Colorado offense? So this is going to surprise people, but I think this is the most important high school acquisition for Coach Prime at Colorado to date. Uh, and that's because I think Antoine Hill has multi-year starter upside, and I think he can be a true impact player in the Big 12, right? Remember, Colorado's moving to the Big 12. And why is this all important? Well, Colorado, what does what the quarterback outlook? I, I think Shadur could come back in 2024. You know, it seems like that's a possibility. One more year with dad. But what's the plan in 2025? I mean, what transfer quarterback is going to go there to sit behind Shadur when Shadur plays every single snap? Because at times it looks like they're trying to pad stats. So, you know, someone's going to have to be the guy in 2025. And I think Antoine Hill, from what we've seen of him as a freshman to a sophomore to this past summer at Under Armour's future 50 camp, and then now six, seven games into his junior season at Houston County, he is he's starting to, to figure it out. I think he's completing just under 70% of his passes. He has a six foot five, 215 pound frame. It is imposing to see him in, in person. And you would maybe assume he's like, hey, a, a run first guy. He's not. He's kind of like Shadur. Like, if, if the opportunity presents itself, he's going to get you 15 yards when he scrambles. So I think it's huge for Colorado. And, and no one's ever talking about, like, what's down the line. I mean, Colorado, I mean, Coach Prime saying, hey, you know, this is the worst I'm ever going to be now. Well, I think Antoine Hill maybe could be the guy that helps elevate that squad at some point, uh, and, you know, down the line. Yeah, I think a big, toolsy, physical kid. Uh, you saw the B-roll there, bud, that I know you filmed down while we're at uh, Future 15. I think he kind of, he was he was up and down there, you know, but in terms of the raw physical traits, Andrew and I were just talking about this. I mean, you see a guy that's got a lot of physical clay. There's a lot of developmental upside there, which just means he's not a, a finished product. And then you go back and you look at him. He's playing good ball in the state of Georgia. He completed 70% of his passes, had over 3,600 yards passing at 40 touchdowns and three INT. It's like the Cedric Bailey thing, right? You see these guys in person and they're like, whoa, that guy's got a ways to go. And then you look at what they've done statistically and it's impressive, right? So I guess what I'm saying is the game within the game, the intuition, the feel of it, taking care of the football, maximizing opportunities, those are all a big part of it. So 
I think Andrew brings up a great point. I think for Colorado, you're doing anything and everything. And then obviously, Dion's going to have a huge influence of what happens with Shador. But that would be the best case scenario, right? Get Shador back. You're probably looking at the transfer portal again in 2025, have a Band-Aid. But in terms of long term, like you got your guy there, right? And for Colorado, this is big boy recruiting because they took a swing at Bryce Underwood, the number one quarterback in the class of 2025. They got the temperature check. And guess what? That's that's great PR. You don't get that kid. You got him on campus, right? And everybody's talking about Colorado. You took a swing at him. Now you got your pivot and your plan B is a guy like Antoine Hill, who's a top 75 player for us and the next number six quarterback in the country. That's big boy stuff by Deion Sanders in, in Colorado. They're going to spend a lot of time in the portal, and they're kind of the inverse of what everybody else is. I feel like everybody is building through high school and then supplementing through the portal. I think Colorado is going to be the exact opposite. I think they're going to build holistically through the portal and then complement uh, through high school. But what they're going to have to do there is build long-term at premium positions. They've done that 2025 and Antoine Hill. So, like, tip of the cap to them. Like, that's how you do it. One note that I didn't get to put put in earlier, we talked about proof of concept. I think having Jeremiah Smith in attendance in the shoe when the rest of Ohio State's offense is not working, and they're like, hey, we have a stud. We're going to throw him the ball 16 times, 11 catches, 180 yards or whatever. Like, that That probably doesn't hurt their chances of hold, holding on to you know number one receiver in the country. Well, I spent a bunch of time with Jeremiah Smith on Thursday. I was playing like producer. I was at Shaman Amadana. I had to introduce some people, but I spent a lot of time with him and I am far from the scoop guy anymore. Like that is not my job, but kind of my, my, my feeling after spending that time, like I think he wants to go to Ohio state. Like I think that's where he wants to be. And I think Brian Hartline is the reason he wants, he's an elite talent that just needs to be polished. And I think that's what Brian Hartline does. You know, he gets these guys that are really, really good, and he fine-tunes them. And I think Jeremiah Smith notices that. And, and, and I did drive out of Shaman on Madonna thinking to myself, all right, Jeremiah just said he's going to be at uh, Penn, or excuse me, at Ohio State on Saturday. I'm like, I have no – is he flying private? Because that game was at noon. He played till like 9 p.m. On, on, uh, on Friday night. I was trying to figure that out. But, you know, he could have went to Miami on Saturday and been at Hard Rock. He could have been to Florida State to see them take on Duke on homecoming in a rowdy environment. So I do think if you're Ohio state, like that is a win, even though, you know, there's a lot of reasons why these kids visit schools. He he wasn't anywhere else. He saw Marvin Harrison, you know, move the ball. I have a gut feeling on that one. That one's going to get testy while we're on the desk, you know, for signing day. Like I I think I I would, I think I'm just saying, right. We just talked about, Florida, Florida State, Miami, all those, all three of those guys have seemed to got the NIL stuff figured out, right? And this dude, Andrew, we have talked about as a generational talent, like the the beautiful blend of ceilings and floors and can step in day one and be one of the best players in the country at his position. All three of these guys have plenty of reason to go out there and try to sell the vision on keeping this guy in state. So as much as Ohio State makes sense on the field, we just talked about Missouri, right? And all else is equal. Hey, you got to look at the in-state schools. I think that's those three have a little bit of a built-in advantage there where I think it's it, they're going to make it extremely difficult for him to 
end up in Columbus, in my opinion. All right. Two thoughts on that. Number one, I would not be surprised if Jeremiah Smith does not sign during the early signing period. I think he could just show up at the school of his choice as an early enrollee. And I think Brian Hartline and his future would be the reason why Jeremiah Smith waited. Number two, all right, you want to talk proof of concept. Miami, Florida, and Florida State aren't exactly churning out first-round wide receivers. I think Kadarius Toney is the last one from those three schools. He had one of the worst NFL performances ever, according to PFF, early on in the season. I know Keon Coleman and, and Johnny Wilson could change a little bit of that. Ricky Pearsall, maybe. Um, but, you know, receivers haven't really been coming out of the big three. And I think that continues to get hammered home to Jeremiah Smith and his camp. I think this is going to be egregious amount of money at the finish line. And, you know, we'll see what happens. Well, he gave a quote to Brandon Marcello that I don't think has been published yet, which was, I was like, I cannot believe you just said that. So I'll just tease that for whenever that story goes out. We, we look forward to reading that on 24-7 Sports. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We already hit a lot of these guys. Is there anybody else from the weekend, true freshman-wise, who we liked a lot coming out and we're really excited to see that they showed us on the field this weekend? How about... Cedric Baxter, right? Five-star running back for us. One-time Florida State commit. You know, I think he had the game ceiling winning touchdown for Texas, yeah. taking on Houston. I mean, um, we were big fans of him, and I thought he was going to get a ton of run. And, you know, you, you mentioned on the beginning of the show, hey, why should you follow recruiting and all this stuff? Like, we've been talking about Cedric Baxter for two years now. Um, and he's been a guy that I, I think came out of fall camp as the starter, but got dinged up. So I thought it was cool and encouraging to see him, you know, get it going. It looks like he's finally healthy. I think he's going to be a big part of that Texas offense moving forward. Um, you know, Bajan Robinson's gone. I think CJ Cedric Baxter isn't Bajan, but he's pretty close in terms of what he's able to do as a pass blocker, catching it out of the backfield, uh, and then just moving the chain. So he's certainly someone I would I would highlight. Yeah, I'm going to go with Suntareen Perkins. I mean, one of my favorites, um, and obviously a guy we got to see at Alabama and Mississippi last year, but, you know, five tackles, tackle for loss against Auburn this past week. His name just kind of, like, keeps coming up, keeps coming up. And I was, you know, last year we talked, like, hey, is there one guy that can maybe even just get in the Harold Perkins conversation in terms of that type of impact? I think Suntareen was the only name that kind of came up. Maybe Caleb Downs at a, at a different position. But I think this dude going forward, in the SEC, going to be a household name in that conference, household name uh, across the board throughout the entire country. And then the other one, Nicholas Harbor, right? I talked about him earlier in the show. Like, if you're South Carolina, man, like, what are you, two and five right now? 
Like, whatever your plan is, throw it away. Get the dude on the field. Get the reps up. They've been doing that. I got to give him credit over the last two weeks. But you got to find a way to get this guy the football. And Spencer Rattler, like, you know, you, you talk about being able to evade pressure. What is your best friend? What is your outlet? Six foot five, 225 pound guy that can run 10 to eight, right? So um, those guys, there's maybe one or two of those guys on the planet, right? So find a way to get that dude the football. Coop, let me ask you this. At what point, if you're South Carolina, do you just go full on youth movement? Like Lenora Sellers, the freshman quarterback, look good in the spring. Like we got to be close, right? To just full on. It depends, bud. You would probably be able to speculate on this a little bit more, but like if you're, if you're Beamer, right? Which I'm not, you know, saying that this is happening, but there's obviously some frustration. The third year feels like the jump year. That it feels like where you're supposed to make the leap. And it seems like South Carolina has kind of outperformed expectations year one, year two, and year three, everybody's kind of w- looking for that eight, nine win, maybe even 10 win jump. And it's been the exact opposite, right? So it's kind of deflated that building. And the, the, the pushback I would say on that is Rattler's played well this year. Like he, he's looking like a, serious consideration for a day two draft pick um outside of that the offensive line has been a, a, a mixed bag at best and it's i don't know I, I i guess what i'm saying is beamer needs to win some games for himself i don't know if he has the luxury of playing those young guys i i think that's fair i my pushback on this would be like look you just gave the guy a big contract extension is he materially a different coach than what he was seven games ago like you just gave the guy millions and millions of dollars are you really going to change your opinion about him because Juice Wells got hurt, Leggett got hurt, you had a really bad year in the transfer portal, which I think is probably because you didn't have your NIL acting together as much as some other programs did, and then you have your offensive line turn into a mass unit. I, I mean, all four of us on this show took the under on South Carolina, and it was like, look, I don't think they can make a bowl this year. The schedule's really tough. They lost a lot of important players. They didn't do a very good job in the portal. I, I mean, if you believed in Shane Beamer like five months ago, you should still believe in him now, I think, regardless of this. It's just it sucks because you're not always able to time up that year three as like the crescendo year. You know, sometimes you lose important guys. They they did like I they're not doing that poorly in recruiting. Like, I, I think that they're ultimately building towards something. I, they're doing a good job in recruiting. They got a top yeah. twenty class. Like that's a thing. I, I I like what they're building. This year has kind of showed some cracks in the foundation. I think that's well, when you're starting. Maybe two, that weren't showing the first two years. When you're starting two freshmen on the offensive line, I mean, I'm not sure what you expect. It, so is Spencer Rattler? He doesn't have a year left, does he? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. No, because Caleb would be coming out early, and Spencer. Wait, does he have the 2020 year? I don't know. I, I, I just my thought is echoing what you said, Bud. Right? Clearly, Shane Beamer is not going anywhere. S- start playing the young guys, right? Get prepare and gear up for twenty twenty five. And I don't think that's what South Carolina fans want to hear. But we really like that recruiting class. We're seeing some of those guys. You mentioned Nick Harbor. Um, I, you know, I, I would just be Jalen Kilgore's a top two four seven safety for us. That it has turned into a starter for them. I mean, I would just be trying to get these guys reps, and it would start with the Lenora Sellers. Um, what, hey, one other freshman. What about Caleb Downs? I feel like we don't even consider him a freshman anymore. Like, he could win the freshman of the week essentially every week. I mean, dude, Tennessee exposes you at safety if you have any leaks. 
and they didn't get him. Like, I think that says what I, I obviously, like, I, I know Coupon's talking about Caleb, but think about last year. Like, they exposed, uh, what's his name for Bama, who's now playing well in the NFL. Like, that's a tough offense to play in space, and you didn't see Downs get, get picked on. Well, I was going to flip the conversation real quick. I know we want to get out of here, but, you know, you think of Tennessee, they don't have one, unless Milton went for over 300 against Bama, which I'm not sure that he did. I know he was on pace for that in the first half, but, you know, statistically, they're not even close to what they were last year with, with Hinton Hooker. I wonder, we had that conversation looking towards the future. I think Tennessee, two losses now, right? What they want in front of them, I think from a program standpoint, is still there. But I wonder with the play at the quarterback position, and, it, and it's it's been choppy at years for uh, at, at times for Joe Milton. Do we see Nico at some point? And if I was Tennessee, I'd try to find a way to get Nico one or two drives a game, and then if you can build on that, maybe see what you got. Like it makes a lot of sense. All right, let's hit, let's hit two questions and then get out of here. Uh, Ryan got in here early before before we started. Appreciate the cover three tailgate tapping in. Said for years the critique on Notre Dame has been poor skill positions. Freeman is objectively recruiting better at quarterback, running back, receiver, and corner. Also, just pure height, weight, speed. You can see the plan. Uh, your thoughts. So I'll ask you, can you see the plan that Ed Marcus Freeman is executing there with the Irish? Uh, I We've had this conversation behind the scenes, I think, Cooper. I mean, I really like what Notre Dame is doing, I, I, I guess, starting with quarterback. You go Kenny Minchie, CJ Carr here. Um, and who's the guy in 25? I'm drawing a Deuce Knight, right? Who I think is an absolute lottery ticket in terms of what he could be. Uh, and that's the type of guy you can take if you have a CJ Carr who is a bit more polished the year prior. So I like what they're doing at quarterback. And then the skill positions, the wide receivers. We've seen Jaden Greathouse um, phasing the former lacrosse player. I thought that was a sneaky like little way to kind of get a dynamic talent in, in there. Logan Saldate, they have committed here in the 2024 cycle. I think that was a really, really good evaluation. So I've been impressed just having gone through the, you know, not the top five players in the class, because I think a lot of times your class is defined five through 20. You know, how many of these guys could hit and be multi-year starters and potentially impact players? So I personally notice it with Notre Dame. Like I like what Freeman is doing, and I think they have a good plan in place. You know, they continue to to get involved in some of these big battles. Uh, they're they're not winning all of them, but they were in it for Keon Keeley. They were in it for Caleb Downs. I think a lot of people forget about that. I mean, they they were in it. I mean, so much so that when I went to visit Caleb Downs at his school, he initially mis, mis, mistook me for like the Notre Dame safeties coach. I guess he said, thought we looked. We look, look similar. So, you know, can they start winning some of these battles? We'll see. But um, I, I like the plan. I like what Notre Dame's doing. You know, like I, I took some heat, I think, last year. I don't even know when it was. But I said, you know, I didn't think Marcus Freeman's uh, recruiting impact was that different than Brian Kelly's. Now, if I had to go back on that and change that, I would say that he's probably um, – he's moved the needle, right? But it hasn't been like this exponential jump. And I think – what you brought up or what the question brings up is a really good question. I like where they're recruiting. I think the biggest difference is, is what Andrew mentioned about quarterback. I think they're a lot better under Marcus Freeman than they were under Brian Kelly, which is pretty interesting, right? But think about the plan going forward. Kenny Minchie was a great addition that they flipped from Pittsburgh. You get CJ Carr, who a lot of people think has got the it factor. We really like top 40 player in the country in, in, in 24. And then they got this wild card in 2025 in Deuce Knight, right? Who's as 
probably the most athletic profile of any quarterback in the 2025 class. The questions that I have is that they have good receivers. I don't know if they have great elite skill sets on the perimeter, right? I like Jaden Greathouse a lot. He's a high floor guy. I think you know what you've seen out of him as a freshman. Braylon James is kind of like the long-term play. Tobias Merriweather you can throw in there as well. Rico Flores is a really good player. The guy that I really like in 24 is Cam Williams. I think he kind of changes the dynamic of that room a little bit. If they can find more guys like the latter, then I think Notre Dame is in, in a lot better position. I think Notre Dame's a really good team. They just went through a gauntlet. What, four straight ranked teams that, yeah. you know, you get Louisville's best punch. They get every team's best punch. Um, I like what they're doing. I like their succession plan pass uh, Sam Hartman. Notre Dame's in a good spot. I don't know how much better they can recruit. I don't know their NIL situation. And like Drew says, at some point, they're going to win games and the tide is going to turn and they're going to win one of these recruitments that I think for them long-term is going to end up paying tenfold. But it's going to take a guy like Dante Moore or a Keon Keeley or a Caleb Downs to kind of open the floodgates for them to get going on, hey, the top 1%, right? Can we put ourselves in that conversation I think they're knocking on the door. They're not there yet, but I think they're heading in the right direction. It's also notable that that Freeman has really cut down strongly on the no-show type performances. Like you can't have a Marshall and a Stanford, right? Where, where like they don't belong on the field with you athletically and, and you're you're losing to them. Like the recent losses have been extremely understandable. Like you lost to Jeff Brom, who's one of the best play callers in the sport after playing two absolute wars with, with Ohio State and Duke, right? Like they, you, you come back and you smoke your rival USC. I think that's like a really important bounce back for them. I, he's growing into the role. Like the guy was a G5 coordinator three years ago. Four, like it's not like he's been a head coach at a G5. Like he was a coordinator at a G5 school. That's a huge jump to being the head coach of the Irish. And I think if you're a Notre Dame fan, you maybe you had blind faith on it early. But if you were one of those Notre Dame fans who wasn't all in, I certainly was not all in early on. I think he's start, starting to grow into the role and, and making strides there. All right, let's let's uh, let's get out of here on this one because it ties into what we talked about today. We didn't talk UCF. UCF has the second-rated class in the new uh, Big 12. I, I know you, you followed what they've done really closely. I, I've been kind of impressed myself. What, what are you seeing out of UCF, and do you expect them to be able to maintain this level of recruiting? <laughs> I do. Um, and I think with UCF, they're always going to lead – like live in the transfer portal as well. So I, I, I mean, I don't want to take away, we can get into the high school recruiting, but I mean, watch a UCF game. There's a lot of guys from, from other schools and Gus has shown that he is not afraid to uh, bring some of those individuals in. I think what stands out about UCF ever since Gus has arrived there is they have made it a priority to recruit locally. Okay. Josh Heupel did not. I think at one point they had signed more players from Hawaii in like a four-year stretch than than players from the surrounding counties in Orlando. It was like, what are you doing? I mean, there are guys here. UCF has churned out local guys and put them in the league. Gabe Davis, wide receiver two for the Buffalo Bills. I mean, he was from right down the road. So I, I think Gus, for them, they, they just need some on-field results. And I think this stretch here, I mean, 0-4 to open up, Big 12 play is not ideal, but I do like the recruiting class. Um, John Walker, last cycle, beating out Florida, Miami, Ohio State. I mean, they all wanted that kid. He has slowly gotten more and more snaps. I think he was on the 24-7 sports uh, freshman All-American team. So 
I, I like it. I think the talent level is certainly improving. UCF is also um, getting more involved in Georgia, which I think is a smart play. I mean, that's a 90-minute flight or even less than that, Atlanta to Orlando. And I think even though it's the college football capital of the world or, or you know whatever they want to bill it as, like sometimes kids want to get out of the area. And I think a city you know between uh, Atlanta and Orlando are similar. So I like it for UCF. Um, and just the fact that they, they want the top kid every year out of Apopka, Seminole High School, and Edgewater, because R.J. Harvey, the running back's out of Edgewater. Like, that is such a smart play, uh, if you ask me. Yeah, I think they're keeping it simple. I mean, they only recruited from four different states last year, four states this year, right? Andrew talked about making uh, UCF in, in, in that area in Orlando a priority. They've done that. John Walker was a huge get for them. But the other thing is, like, you turn on that Oklahoma game. I was watching that. Like, they look big up front, right? Like, this doesn't look like a team that's that's still acclimating to the Power Five. So I think from a height, weight, speed standpoint, I think UCF is going to be one of those teams overall roster construction-wise they are going to be able to pretty substantially raise their talent profile over the next three to four years. And I think the other thing is, is like they're a really nice bounce back option, right? Miami, Florida, Florida State, they can't take everybody. And then you got UCF, now our power five program, right? Kind of on the outside looking in that I think is really going to be an attractive option for a lot of these kids trying to find their way back to the state of Florida. So I like UCF. I think they got a nice little recipe going on. And, you know, they're sitting at number 29 in 2024. And I think that they're they're an arrow up program. I think they should be a top 25 recruiting program year in and year out. I think they have that type of uh, capability. They're 12 the in, number 12 in 2025. There you go. They're, they're doing some work. Really appreciate it. Glad we got the UCF talking. Otherwise, my, my group chat, I, I live here in Orlando, would have been, would, I, I would have been, but you didn't talk UCF on, on the Florida episode. Thanks, man. Guys, uh, after you give us that thumbs up, the like, leave that five-star review, head on over to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast that these two host. Awesome show. Guys, like, come on. What, let's, let's get them like a couple hundred new five-star reviews. I know a lot of y'all are time-limited on, on the cover three, so you can't, you're not eligible to give us another five-star review. Use that five-star review on that show and hit subscribe to it. Let's, let's boost them up. They do a great job. If you're into the nerdery, we're not going to give you recruiting, you know, five times a week. They give it to you two extra times a week. So go ahead, hit them up. Coop, Ivans, really appreciate it, man. Thank you, man.